Welcome to the Teletext R podcast. Today, we tell the tale of the CFX striker, Roy S.N. Doe. This is the abridged edition. If you want to hear us talk about football for an hour and 15 minutes, then go and check out the other upload, which is the extended cut. Otherwise, keep on listening for the legend of Roy S.N. Doe. My agent saw the Wickham site on CFAX and obviously with their injuries and everything and me not being cup-tied, he got on the phone to Laurie Sanchez and uh, they had a chat and he asked me to come down and you know, to play a couple of reserve games. With their secret CFAX striker on the bench, Wickham travelled to Filbert Street to take on high-flying Leicester City in their quarter-final. Paul McCarthy gave Wickham the lead before Muzzy Izzard equalised for Leicester. With 20 minutes to go, Eason Doe's moment had arrived. As CFAG substitute striker Roy Essendo took up a position in the box, his gaffer Sanchez ended up watching his team on one. Got back by Bates. Essendo! It's in! They found to an advert on the internet. That's really put Wickham on the worldwide map. You couldn't make it up. You really couldn't. And Roy Essendo has stepped from obscurity into international headlines. It's one of the most iconic moments in FA Cup history. Roy S. Ando leaping to score a last-minute goal against Leicester and earn Division 2 Wickham Wanderers a place in the semi-finals of England's most prestigious cup competition. The CFX striker, as he has been dubbed, signed for injury-stricken Wickham after his agent spotted a story about the club's plight on the BBC's Teletext service. And to celebrate the 20th anniversary of SNO's heroics, today I am joined by Paul Lewis, operator of the official Wickham website at the time and the current owner of the Cherboys Wickham fan site. So, how are you today, Paul? Very good. Hi, Dan. Thanks for inviting us on. No problem. It's fantastic to have you here and to hear your expertise on this subject. On this podcast, usually we ask our guests what the teletext history is. So I'm going to ask that to you. What is your own personal involvement with teletext? Did you use it? I think like a lot of fans of football clubs, you know, just dying to get any snippet of information on your club and the probably the lower you go down the divisions, the more you have to search for it. So being a Wickham Wanderers fan who's come up from non-league football, it was a, a useful source of results. You know, the, we were not generally covered even on the pool. So you sometimes were waiting to get results on a midweek game. You'd wait for teletext to pop up and you'd dial in the page number, whatever that was. So it was just another resource before the internet popped up in the mid-1990s. Not just football either. I mean, it's all, uh, as you know, all manners of subjects. My other passion is music. So you're looking on there for gig listings and et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's nostalgic times. Did you ever correspond via teletext? Did you ever send anything to any of the teletext sections? Not myself, no. I, I, I knew there was some 
sort of music related input from local people um, but I didn't do it myself just generally a uh, reader right through to like the early days of the internet I mean I was I was online doing the Wiccan website 1995 so I mean the website I've been running has been on over 25 years and eventually you could get tv cards for your desktop and some of those had teletext built in so you could find information on that as well so it was before the internet was used in such a way that you could find results so quickly and now it's with you know mobile technology has has completely changed the way the internet operated but you know you go back to the times we're talking about to the you know the the famous S and O goal where it was just dial-up connections. You know, you couldn't get the internet on a mobile phone. Mm. That changed the face of the internet, and that was probably the, sadly for you, you know, the, the enthusiasts of teletext and um, CFAX. That was the demise of the service. You can't compete with that sort of technology. Yeah, I think the incident we're going to discuss today is during a time period when teletext and the internet overlapped in their usage, well, maybe teletext, it was its swan song. It was the last time where CFAX dominated over the internet. But what I'd like to ask is, you said you've been running your fan site or you've been running websites since 1995. How did you get into that? It was was really because you could do it. I guess people started buying PCs around that time, 1995, you know, Windows 95, I suppose, yeah, yeah. judging by the date. Um, and you could get on the internet with some slow dial-up device and certain internet providers gave you some web space. So you could create your own website. Before that, I think, this, you know, there was a big student base. So you know, there's some of the early internet sites run by um, enthusiasts of of football clubs, you know, if you want to go down that path, were generally hosted at educational establishments. So when it became possible to get on the internet, it was just, yeah, I can do this. I can write half a dozen pages. We're Wiccan Wanderers. Here's a list of fixtures. Here's some results. And it just built from there, really. Um, and it, it took quite a while. I mean, it was, you know, you, you, you'd struggle to find other people on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you know, there's just, you know, probably of a fan base of, I don't know, Wickham's crowds then were sort of four or 5,000. I'm, I'm guessing just off the top of my head, there's probably only 5% of them on the internet at the time. But, you know, now you'd say it's near 100%. Yes, absolutely. We've come a long way since those days. How long has it been? 25 years? Teletext fading out and the internet taking over. But did you have a PC at home that you worked on the websites with? Or did you do it, say, at an educational institute or a library? No, it was a, it was a home PC. If, I think it was brought from time computers. Uh, if you're old enough to remember that, you look in a computer magazine, say you wanted that one, phone them up, buy it over the internet, and a few weeks later, a box would turn up and you'd be probably about £2,000 less rich. And uh, oh dear. <laughs> away you went and uh, the slowest internet connection you could ever imagine. You know, you, <laughs> it was it was so slow. It was you couldn't even begin to explain 
you, you, you just thought it was normal at the time, so you didn't think anything of it. I mean, the broadband connections and Wi-Fi connections changed everything. I mean, the, the official website started at Wickham Wanderers, I guess, a similar time to a lot of other clubs, you know, around that time. So the Wickham official website started, I believe, in 1997. Most teams had an official website. It was usually run by someone perhaps connected with the club with a IT background because they could, they had the know-how to be able to upload a few basic web pages. But there was nothing really so, that sophisticated about any of the official websites at the time, unless clubs could chuck thousands of pounds at it because it was seen to be a um, sort of a, a dark art of creating a, a website wherein probably. In fact, it was relatively simple. Do you think that was the case, chucking thousands of pounds at it for the Wickham site? How did you come to be involved with the official Wickham Wanderers site? Because I was running the independent site and I could, you know, if you like, put my enthusiasm behind it and update it in my own time, add, add to it from a, a fan's point of view, and we had a forum behind the scenes as well. So you're getting a lot of, in, I think the interaction on websites make websites. If you, if you just sat there uploading information, you don't get any feedback. You think, is anybody looking at this? Is there, you know, is there any point in doing it? But once you've got some sort of interaction, it gives you the emphasis to move on and create more content. Um, so the Chairboys site, chairboys.co.uk is the website that I've been running for, for 25 years. I think that domain name was taken out in the late 90s, was popular with the fans, and the, the official site was sort of running parallel with that. And then, by chance, someone um, volunteered myself. So, you know, Paul helped them out. I said yes. You know, they, they, they said, oh, yeah, we're, we're, asked, we're asked full to do that. And uh, I came along halfway through the... 1999-2000 season, tidied up the website, relaunched it around sort of January 2000 and used the technology that was available at the time to make it as up-to-date as possible, which in those days meant taking a laptop to an away game. This, this sounds all very sort of, wow, that's, that's not amazing at all. <laughs> <laughs> but trust me, back then, a laptop to an away game and being able to connect to the internet was not easy. You had no broadband. There was no Wi-Fi. There was probably, at some clubs, you'd have two or three phone sockets at the, at the level we're playing at to try and plug into. If you didn't have that, I was relying on a, a mobile phone with a built-in modem. So it was, it was cutting-edge technology at the time, but we managed to get reports up on the final whistle. So, I mean, that was the benefit of, of doing it that way. So... You know, we, we, we not, not led the way, but for a club of Wickham size, we went from a site that was updated perhaps on a Monday when someone was back in the office to match reports that are uploaded within uh, you know, 15 minutes of the final whistle. I can just imagine you're sitting next to the phone socket, beeping away, thinking, come on, upload, <laughs> upload. Yeah. I, yeah. I, need, I need to get this uploaded before, I don't know, what would have been the... Uh, rival at the time BBC News I guess before the main news sites uh, yeah I don't I don't think it was any like you do, I don't think you ever saw it as a as a rival to yourselves because they they're sitting there with on basically with a teleprinter 
whatever you want to call it, input. But you know, we, we would add our own personal touch, someone who was at the game, someone who could see what was happening in front of us and given a sort of personal touch to reports, you know, so it's, you can't beat that being at the games. Did you ever talk to anybody who was correspondent for the teleprinter? How did that work? Do you know? When I was uh, reporting from away games, there would often be a correspondent there who worked for the press association, which then, I guess, syndicated the information back for the teleprinter. They would have booked a phone line for the entire game and used up one of those phone lines, those valuable phone lines. And they would be on the phone the whole game and they would be talking what was happening on the pitch, but in, in the form of a sort of a grid, of, if you like, or where, you know, left channel, right channel, players' names. It was not a commentary as such, but it was obviously some on the other end feeding in stats, which I guess is what's happened nowadays, where the game is completely overloaded with statistics of someone sitting there and looking at someone, so many passes and the possession rate. And that was where it, I guess it started from in the 2000, early 2000s. And yeah, if there was a goal, it would be as quick as they could, they would get a goal through and it would be who scored it and what the minute was. And then you know, within 30 seconds or so, it would become up on the teleprinter on the um, BBC final score screen that was sitting alongside. So, yeah, that was all over the telephone in those days. I never thought exactly how it would work, because I know in the really olden days of radio, that's how they would do commentary, because yeah. they'd, they'd have one guy basically reading code, as you said, and another guy commentating on the game. And people would follow along with the grid at home. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was really cool. So maybe they're still doing that these days. Maybe they're still using those codes to report back to the statistics companies to opt at, saying G3 Johnson pass to G4. <laughs> like a chess match or something. Yeah, possibly. I mean, you would you would hope they'd probably go down a more technically advanced route. I mean, there's a lot of GPS stuff out there nowadays. You know, all the players are generally wearing GPS vests, at, even at Wickham's level. Uh, we'll say Wickham's level. We're at level two now, which is amazing. But, you know, even in the third and fourth tier, most teams are wearing uh, that sort of technology so they can analyse where players have been, how, how far they've run, and they can play back how many yards, you know, meters they've run, etc. And I'm sure they could, yeah, I'm sure they use that sort of technology. But yeah, there's, there is someone definitely sat there at some point um, determining whether there's a, a throw on being taken in the first five minutes because, you know, a lot of it's obviously linked to, to the, um, the betting industry as well. Well, on that subject, I just have to say, hopefully it's not the same person who's pressing the button for the fake crowd noise because <laughs> they're really, really mm. slow sometimes. But yeah. um, that's, that's a whole yeah. other area. So as this podcast is uploaded, it's been approximately 20 years to the day, let's say, since Roy Sando hit the headlines. Sorry, is it, is it Sando or Sando? Well, to tell you the truth, I, I am not. I prefer Essendo. Pretty sure that's correct. But Essendo was one of the BBC commentaries. But the uh, the fact that he played so little was probably the reason the um, pronunciation <laughs> never got confirmed. But I prefer Essendo. Yeah, 
well, I've been using Sendo up to now, yeah. so I'll continue with that. Roy Isendo was on trial at Rushton and Diamonds after two years football in Austria and Finland. Luckily, he had a good agent. It's his job to know what's going on in football, and he, he knew the situation that was going on, going on at Wickham at the time, and he contacted them and got back to me. And uh, But it was basically him who, who got a fixed up for me to go there. There is an oft-used saying in football, the magic of the FA Cup. And I feel like that phrase was invented for things like this. In storytelling, there's an archetypal underdog story, you know, like Rocky Balboa, Oliver Twist, or even Frodo Baggins. So, Paul, exactly how does this, uh, the Yisando heroics, how do they rank in Wickham Wanderers folklore? Is it going to be, in your opinion, a club legend that's remembered forever? Yeah, with, with, without a doubt. I mean, it, you have to remember that Wickham Wanderers were a non-league team just seven years previous and had never even gone beyond the third round of the FA Cup prior to that season, 2000, 2001, and never scored in the third round. I think they'd played possibly three, three or four times in the FA Cup third round prior to that and we'd sort of I don't want to say muddled our way through but we'd got through with replays against uh, Millwall and then the excitement of reaching the third round we would got drawn at home to Grimsby we battled to a draw at home beat them away and got into the fourth round for the first time ever so it's well documented. We managed to get through against Wolves and Wimbledon in a fantastic replay at Selhurst Park against Wimbledon. And to turn up at Leicester in the sixth round was just surreal, but it tied in with some fairly severe injury problems at the time for Wickham's strikers. So we had up to sort of whether you call them all strikers, but we certainly had three or four key strikers out. So we had Andy Rammel out. Sean Devine had been out for long term. Andy Baird, another one of our strikers, had been injured in the Wimbledon game. So we were we were running on sort of thin air, really. So yeah, it was a an incredible moment when someone who had literally just turned up on trial came on in the last I don't know, 15 minutes or so. And he's oh well, you know, we just, you know, we're we hang out for a draw here. He pops up and and scores, you know, think. Wow. <laughs> Hold on. We're in the semi-finals here. <laughs> it will never be forgotten. I mean, it's, it probably, I don't know where you'd rank it, but it's not the greatest moment, but it's in the top one, as Brian Clough would say. <laughs> Those score lines that you quoted just now in the previous rounds, do you have them embedded into your brain, embedded into your memory forever? Yeah. Well, they are embedded in my brain, but I have... <laughs> Perhaps the exact details of, of who scored might need a bit of uh, memory jogging, but oh, I'd be impressed if everyone could remember who scored all the goals at Salahas Park in a replay, yeah. um, which earned us. Because it, it ended to all after extra time when we scored in the 123rd minute or something like that to equalise by Paul McCarthy, who's sadly no longer with us. And it went to a shootout and both teams were down to 10 men. And there was 20 penalties. 
Williams will take the kick. And he skied it! Wickham Wanderers are in the quarter-final of the FA Cup in an unbelievable story here at Selhurst Park. 2-0 down in the first game, 1-0 down and 2-1 down tonight. They've scored an equaliser in the dying moments of the game and now from the penalty spot, Wickham Wanderers have done it and a team that had never been into the third round of the FA Cup before are now in the quarter-finals. The story goes that Laurie Sanchez did post a striker wanted advert on the Wickham website when, as you say, Wickham were terribly injury hit. So do you remember or do you know if that was exclusively Laurie Sanchez's idea or the result of a brainstorming session with many others? And I guess, were you involved in that? Well, there's a there's a bit of a story behind that one. It it, it was not a brainstorming session. It, it Laurie Sanchez, they were getting desperate. They were they were looking for players all over the place. I mean, they they I think they approached uh, Ian Wright and um, Gianluca Viali as well. Uh, I think Ian Wright was injured, and Viali was asking too much money. So they, they Wickham needed to find strikers who were one fit, two not cup tied. And obviously, in Wickham's case, didn't want you know ten thousand pound a week just to play in a FA Cup game, and they needed to be signed by a, a deadline. They can't just sign in the week before the game; they had to be signed, I think, a couple of weeks beforehand. So it was, it was getting desperate. And I think the way the story panned out was that Laurie Sanchez was talking to our press officer at the time, Alan Hutchinson, and sort of joked, "Or oh, we could put something on teletext." And uh, the, I think uh, Alan had some connections with Teletext. And I think one evening this story just popped up. I think it was the end of, towards the end of February 2001. If you can find this story, if you could find a screenshot of this, it would be amazing. Because I, I, can, I can sort of picture it. Because to come back to your other point, it was never on the Wiccan website. Oh, it was right. 100%, 100%, I can tell you that, because I was running it. The website was run by the if you like, the sales and marketing team. So they were behind the uh, website. So they were the people who brought me in, volunteered. I was only doing it voluntary. I was, uh, it was just in my spare time. So I was just helping the club out. And the press officer at the time working full-time for the club. So there was a, I think there was a little bit of internal rivalry. I mean, I got on with both of them, but I, I guess when the sales and marketing meet public relations, they don't necessarily get on as, as well. So um, the website was was one thing and the press officer was doing his own thing. Of course, there was club call lines as well at the time. So premium rate phone numbers. So there was there was a little bit of internal rivalry, if, if, if you like. So it wasn't it wasn't on the website. But once it had gone on to teletext, the story got mentioned on the uh, message board that's associated with the Chairboys site, the gas room, as it was called at the time, uh, which is a throwback to our old ground. That's why it's called that. Someone posted up, oh, have you seen this small story on teletext? We're searching for a striker, you know, and it's all a bit of a joke, really. You know, we can wander searching for a striker. You must be fit. You must be, you can't be cup-tied. Um, please contact the club. 
and it was it wasn't even a full I'm, I'm pretty sure it wasn't even a full page it's one of those teletext pages where there was you know maybe two or three stories you could pack into the small space you got available yeah it was just a roundup thing perhaps I had to scroll through two or three pages to get to it and people obsessed with news at the time just trying to find anything related to your club and found this story posted it on the uh, message board and the story goes that Roy Essendo's agent saw this whether he saw it on the teletext I'm guessing or uh, someone else told him but he was the only one Roy Essendo's agent was the only one to respond to the club and say yeah, look my player's available give him a trial and uh, Wickham, Wickham did that they put him into a, a reserve game against um, QPR on a Wednesday afternoon and uh, he didn't do a lot in that game <laughs> But that was enough for Laurie Sanchester's. Oh, we're okay. Didn't do a lot. We'd play him in the home game against Port Vale, which is a week before we played Leicester. To be honest, he didn't do a lot in that either. <laughs> and he, he was taken off after sort of 75 minutes. He got another brief run out. We actually played midweek before the Leicester game. We played Reading. And he, he again, he, he came on with, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes left. And you know, you didn't think anything of it. You know, he wasn't like, oh, blimey, he looks like he's going to bag the winner against Leicester on Saturday and take us into the semi-finals of the FA Cup. We were looking at damage limitation at that point. You know, Leicester had just done extremely well in Premier League games against Liverpool and back in the days when Sunderland were in the top division as well. I think yeah. they did quite well against them. And there was no expectation from the majority of people going into that game that we'd come out with any sort of result. When he signed on trial, no expectations whatsoever. He was on the bench against Leicester and no one was screaming to bring him on. Mm. I guess that's one of the things, one of the small things that goes into making this such an amazing story, building the legend. But... um the fifth round tie with Premier League Leicester at their own grounds, Pilbert Street, was quite an exhilarating one. Were you there in person? I assume you were there in person to report on the game for the website. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I went to um, I went to every single game that season, home and away, okay. with the trusty laptop and mobile phone, trying to connect to the internet, and. Yeah, as the games went on, you you realise it was uh, sort of chalk and cheese facilities at games. So Grimsby away, sat in an old wooden stand, <laughs> the little stand. I think everyone's been into the press area at Grimsby. It's um, very low down and it's you're, you're scrambling around on little desks and trying to find a phone socket. Leicester City at the time, Filbert Street, up in the stands with a... From memory, the where I was sat was very similar to the camera angle. So my memories of the game from the press area was very similar to how I you'd see it on the TV replays. And you had the luxury then of having a live TV monitor with replays, which I've never experienced that before. So when you're reporting on a game and you're not sure about something, you can see it again on a replay. And that's just taken for granted now. Yeah. But you think, blimey, these people have got it easy. I mean, it was, Such a luxury. It was. And like Wickham, I got into half-time at nil-nil. I thought, oh, that's fantastic. We've got to nil-nil at half-time. Doesn't matter what happens now. We've done ourselves. We've done justice here. You know, we've, you're trying to convince yourself, aren't you? You know, you're happy. But you never know. You might nick one. And 
again, it's Paul McCarthy popped up and headed us into the lead during the second half. And again, it was coming back to the situation with where, where I was sat. And it, it was a it was a sort of a stooping header and it was a little bit of a debate whether it was an own goal. And you could, you know, watch the replay. Yeah, that's, that's Paul McCarthy's goal, no doubt about it. So that, that was one of the benefits of, of being set up there. And it was uh, not, a, I would say, you know, it's a massive privilege to be there at the time, to be involved. Uh, I was sat quite near the radio commentary as well for the Wickham local radio. And one of our players who was out injured was alongside as well. So we were sort of not next to each other, but sort of diagonally opposite on another row but we were sort of looking at each other thinking blimey you know <laughs> we're in the lead here <laughs> we could be in the semi-finals it was just such an amazing um, experience I, I should imagine it was yourself being a Wickham Wanderers fan there in the press box and experiencing this which I assume you'd go on to say is was it your most memorable occasion in your history of Wickham Wanderers supporting um well that whole run you know if you if you I think if you picked any season that run to the FA Cup semi-final was would be a a run that sticks in a lot of people's minds because it was a run also that brought in a lot of new fans as well which is which is always a a struggle for any club Wickham took the measure also of because it wasn't on live tv it was the three o'clock kick-up on a Saturday and Wickham took the, another gamble of hosting a live screening of the game back at Adams Park at, in, in Wickham. So they, yes. they brought a, a truck onto the pitch with a supposedly <laughs> a big screen. If you look at it now, I think, well, that's not that big. But uh, it was at the time, like there was a few thousand people at the ground was there watching this uh, tie as well. So you were sat at Filbert Street and then going back to the game where Roy Essendo's come on in the last, he's come on with 15 minutes to go. And then in stoppage time, he's rose like a salmon to head home in the winner. And everyone's gone crazy. Those scenes were replicated back in Wickham as well, because they could, they could see it live. So, and it was, it was shown live outside of the UK. So there's other, other fans might've seen it if they were outside of the UK, but there was 3000 in Leicester and there was, Two or three thousand back at Adams Park watching it. Perhaps some on, some people were following it on teletext as well because that was there were yes. live updates of the of the game on teletext at the time and sort of refreshing away and waiting for the page to come back round again and say FT. You know, so it's uh, it's one of those moments. Where were you when Essendon scored the goal? Mm, yeah. Just on the subject of beanbacks, I don't know if they were called beanbacks at the time. Yeah, what what they did they did call it a beanbag. Yeah, that's good good memory. Yeah, where they show it on the big screen in the ground. I've been to one of those, <laughs> but it was it was only about five years ago, so the technology was a lot better. But mm. still, and yet still, there is a big truck that they wheel onto the pitch, <laughs> and yeah. there's a massive television on the side, and every five minutes it goes off, and yeah. everyone starts going, "Whoa, what's going on?" And it's the horizontal bars because the footage isn't great but uh yeah i i loved going to that being back um yeah but sorry going back to the game yes you mentioned snr made his entrance in the 74th minute replacing keith ryan 
and the stage was set for a magical finish. Now, there is a very famous clip of a jubilant Laurie Sanchez watching Ascendo score that winning goal live on a small CRT television in the tunnel. Now, that was because he'd been sent off by the referee for appealing for a penalty. Um, so what do you think? Do you think that should have been a pen? I reckon that with current technology, VAR would probably have awarded that to Wickham. <laughs> what do you think? Well, <laughs> that's open to debate. But if there's someone out there who can understand the current laws on the handball situation on penalties, then, you know, please, please let us know. Because uh, <laughs> there's so many bizarre decisions being made, even with multiple angles. I mean, that that cross at the time, I can picture it was from the um, Wickham right wing and he crossed it and it struck the upper arm of Stefan Oakes, who actually later played for Wickham. Oh, OK. Um, I think there was only a couple of angles and they weren't great, but I'm pretty sure it would probably would have been given. Um, again, I remember looking down at the monitors and thinking, uh, you can't, you know, yeah. But while we were doing that, Laurie Sanchez was off down the touchline. And then, and if, if you get onto the internet and find a clip of the game, it's just a classic footage of Laurie Sanchez uh, marching off down the touchline in his Mac, which was his lucky Mac. You know, he didn't wear it just because it looked great, because <laughs> it certainly didn't. Um, he was absolutely soaked because it was it was chucking down that day, and he and he went off and perhaps suggested to the referee that he'd made the wrong decision, mm-hmm. uh, in 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 the strongest terms that he could come up with, which then resulted with him being sent off down the tunnel. And the secretary of the club at the time, Keith Allen, went down with him to keep him company, and they were in this little room with a um, as you say a closed circuit TV with um, live pictures of the game and I could see occasionally that the live feed that I'm guessing Sky were putting together I think it was Sky who were covering the game for their um, evening highlights game before match of the day kept flicking back to the footage of Laurie Sanchez in this room with Keith Keith Allen of course when that happened Laurie Sanchez and Keith Allen could see themselves on the screen and Laurie Sanchez wasn't very happy because <laughs> he wanted to watch the game. He didn't want to watch a picture of himself watching the game. And there was a, I think there's a clip somewhere where he looks angrily at the camera and suggests that they should get the coverage back onto the pitch. <laughs> and uh, the, the coverage quickly flashes back to the game. But then when the goal went in, luckily they were recording those pictures all the time so they could go back to that and get a replay of when the goal went in and when the goal went in it was Keith Allen the secretary was jumping for joy with his arms up and Laurie Sanchez just went in a sort of state of shock and marched out the room and down the tunnel just to check that it actually happened that it wasn't just someone coming up with some spoof footage of Roy Essendo scoring the goal it's like what <laughs> it was it's incredible footage you couldn't if, if someone wrote that, you, could, you know, it'd just be a, you know, it's too far-fetched. Yeah, especially because Laurie Sanchez is watching on his little CRT TV. And considering where this story started on teletext, I, I think it was somehow so fitting that 
there's a nice little beginning, a middle and end to the whole Ascendo saga, beginning with technology on TV and ending with that. After one dodgy refereeing decision too many, Sanchez got himself in a spot of trouble. The referee's come across and sent me, um, sent me off. So I'm spending the last 10 minutes of the game underneath, uh, underneath the stand watching a monitor that I think um, a TV monitor with my secretary, um, Keith Allen at the time. Royce knocks it down and away from the point of immediate danger. What was it like to experience that for yourself being at the ground? Did you celebrate much or did you keep your professional hat on reporting on the game? Um, well, I like to think I kept my professional hat on. <laughs> um, having been told to calm down in the previous round against Wimbledon. <laughs> I can't remember when I got told to calm down. <laughs> but it was either it was either the equaliser in the uh, 125th minute or whatever, or the penalty winner. I think it was possibly the equaliser because I, at the time, because I was trying to get a match report out on the final whistle and I was aware of trying to get home as well from South London. It's not the greatest place to get back to, to High Wycombe. I was, as I guess a lot of web reporters were doing, were writing a report on the fly. So I was sort of drafting something out along the lines of Wycombe bow out 2-1, unlucky defeat at Wimbledon and took them to the death and was just ready to press that upload button when Paul McCarthy knocked in the equaliser and uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I probably let out a cheer or two <laughs> and some some man in a suit uh, uh, naughty, naughty don't do that <laughs> and uh, yeah but at Leicester, it was slightly different because it was it was um, outside. It was at Wimbledon. It was inside. It, you're behind a screen, which I felt was all a bit sort of clinical. I don't remember any other ground that I went to apart where at Wickham. It's like that very small press box, but you can sit outside. I, you know, you, I much prefer to be outside where you can hear the mm. hear the crowd. And it was um, not the same situation at Leicester. But I think, as I said earlier, when the when the goal went in, it was more of a sort of shock, really. You think, blimey, does that count? <laughs> and, and and just seeing the celebrations across the other side of the pitch, our Wickham fans were tucked away on a fairly low-roofed area, which they'd use, they use for away fans for big games. And then Wickham had some fans behind the goal in the upper tier as well. So you were trying to look at all, you're trying to take it all in just checking who scored the goal and what minute it was and trying to upload perhaps an update or something like that, but or make a note of it in your book for later. So I don't, re I don't remember celebrating it too much other than looking down in front of me and, and looking at the rest of the Wickham sort of press team and looking at each other and thinking, blimey, you know, two or three minutes time, we could be in a semi-final of the FA Cup. And uh, yeah, a bit emotional. Yeah. It's, it's crazy what emotions football can elicit when it's, it really is just a game, but it's not a game at the same time. No, no, no. Um, yeah. I, I should imagine that was absolutely wonderful for yourself and uh, an abiding memory for the rest of your life. Yeah. And, and, and for the players as well at the time, you know, that was every person in that team. It was probably the highlight of their 
career up to that point and, and along with the semi-final, certainly for Roy Essendon. <laughs> what was your feeling when you realised that it was Roy Essendon who scored the winning goal? Um, well, I think most, like a lot of people, like, uh, just a total shock, really, because it was an absolutely brilliant header. It was fantastic. You know, it was, it was a real 1960s-style header, so I'm told. You know, I can't remember football back that far, but it was, it was just a, a wonderful header. I can't remember him having a, a shot on goal before then in any game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all part of the legend. The romance is over. Reality returns to the FA Cup in the shape of a really mouth-watering final. It's Arsenal versus Liverpool, but nobody will ever forget the odds-defying cup run of Laurie Sanchez's Wickham Wanderers. Well, unfortunately, Wickham could not progress beyond the semi-final as they lost 2-1 to Liverpool. But a massive following of 20,000 Wanderers fans were treated to a close-ish finish at Villa Park. Well, what are your abiding memories of that day? Do you think that was more memorable or the SNO match? Yeah, I thought they were, they were both memorable for their own, you know, for their own reasons. You know, just getting to the semi-final of the FA Cup was, um, with all the best will in the world, it will it will possibly never happen again for Wickham Wanderers. You know, certainly not in, in in recent history. You know, we've 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 not managed to get any further than the in the fourth round. Um, so you know, you you're there, and it's you know, you think about abiding memories and. Again, it's it's quite a surreal situation to be in, where there's twenty thousand fans going to what it feels like a cup final. To be honest, you know, you're going to a neutral ground, you're playing Liverpool, and um, you don't want to come out on the end of a, a thrashing. When you get there, you you're trying to take everything in. You get there as early as you can on the day. Have you know meeting fans? When I was in the ground again, I was in the uh, in the press area, and again, you've got you know incredible facilities at Villa Park. Talking of surreal incidents, you know, you're in the press area before the game and you get you get cups of tea and cakes. You know, they're blimey, this is amazing. And then you're having a cup of tea with um, Ron Atkinson, um, who's doing the game as well. He said, my God, you know, what's, what's happened? What's <laughs> happened here? You know, it was, it was two, men and a, two men and a dog earlier on in the competition when we started off at home to Harrow Borough. <laughs> um, back in the November, I think it was, when it started. But yeah, the... The Liverpool game was fantastic. I mean, the away the Wickham fans were mostly behind the goal in the whole end. I sat there with the when they held up the, uh, they got given coloured cards to hold up, and so the whole end was a in a quartered um, light and dark blue. When the teams come on the pitch and looking across at that, and blimey, you know, this is, you know, again a, a very emotional day. But we know the team took it onto the pitch. You know they fought until quite late in the game before Liverpool had to bring on the big boys to help them get through. And they got a couple of goals and we were looked like we were going out 2-0, which was not not, you know, not a big disappointment to only lose 2-0 to Liverpool. But hmm. for then, in the dying stage of the game, for Keith Ryan, one of our makeshift strikers, 
defender, midfielder, playing where you like, you'll always do a job to pop up and score was um, incredible. He played for the club for 10 years. He he was signed by Martin O'Neill 10 years previous. And for him to notch the goal against Liverpool and just give that mind, we could get another one here. Was, was an incredible scene and he scored it at the, the end where the Wickham fans were as well so when he scored he could celebrate in front of them but it was it was very sad at the final whistle yeah mixed emotions really hanging around the ground after the game and it's pretty grim weather that day but again you, you're in a in a press conference with what seems to be half the world there I'm talking to um, Liverpool officials Gerard Julio the manager at the time and they're talking about Liverpool. We just played in Europe, I think, a few days beforehand, and talking about them how they just managed to scrape through against Wickham Wanderers. And I'm I'm feeling disappointed. We've lost against Liverpool in the semi-final of the <laughs> FA Cup, which is you're thinking perhaps we could have perhaps we could have sneaked it. You know, yeah, it was one in a million. I think that day. Regarding Roy Sandor, did he play in the semi-final? I assume he must have. He, he came on a sub again. You know, you think, well, we bring him on a sub with 15 minutes left. He can score a couple of goals here. But yeah, he didn't that time. But he, he set his mark as a Wickham legend anyway. So, you know, he didn't really have to do a great deal. You can't expect someone to come on again and do the same thing. But yeah, if, if he had a done, my God, I don't know what would, what would have happened. Yeah, incredible. Well, what happened to Asando following the Copa exploits? Did he sign a new contract with Wickham? Well, yeah, I think up to this day, I've been pretty harsh on Roy Essendon. Um, so I'll have to... Uh, <laughs> Considering I mean, he's a legend. Yeah, he did. He, he was given a contract to the end of the season. And, and then he left at the end of the season. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, he didn't um, make any further impact, but he, he helped us out helped us out in numbers because although he didn't score any more goals we were drifting away at the bottom of the table and we're trying to um, pull a few results together just to keep us safe because we put everything into that cup run so what happened that season did you manage to stay up or yeah yeah we stayed up we had a decent season the next season as well because we we had a little bit of money from the cut run back at back then. The FA Cup wasn't worth anywhere near as much as it is now, but we invested a bit of the money in in, a, in a, two or three players, and we had a fairly reasonable season the following season, finishing in the top half of the third tier, and also picking up a fair fair bit of support as well. Our average gate probably went up about a thousand or so as a result of the of the cut run, which doesn't sound a lot, but a thousand at that level to pick up it is a big number you know when you multiply it by however much you're paying to get in at the time over the course of the season so yeah lots and lots has changed in the last 20 years but i think even today the concept of a football team posting a striker wanted advertisement on teletext is quite a novel one and maybe that's just another of those things that makes the SNO story unique. Now, I don't know if you're aware, Paul, but there is a community of Teletext archaeologists, as they dub themselves, who search for Teletext pages on old VHS and Betamax videotapes. And now to date, well, I've been consulting 
with the team this week. Uh, to date, we actually haven't uncovered the Sendo article or page on CFAX. But I think with the number of tapes that we keep getting donated, it's likely that at some point we will probably stumble across it. I've notified the guys of this. They know about this story now and they will look for it in the future. So, yeah. What do you think about that? What do you think about the idea of teletext archaeology? Well, being an avid historian <laughs> of football and, and um, music history as well, live music history, it's um, anything that you can find which you know, hasn't been found before or documented away in a, in a newspaper archive on microfilm or whatever is, um, is amazing to find. But I say I'm not, wasn't aware that you could get teletext from old VHS tapes, although I do remember accidentally hitting a teletext the text button on a remote control while playing a VHS tape and it coming up with some sort of garbled teletext which appeared to be from the time so without getting sort of too much wrapped up in the technology are you saying that a tape from the time would be able to you'd be able to view all the teletext pages from the time yeah depending on how good quality the recording is mm. Because of the way Teletext was broadcast with the television broadcast, mm. yeah, you can recover that data from tape. Uh, if you, say, recorded a match off the TV, you could get the Teletext that was broadcast alongside that. Well, knowing of some historians, uh, you know, I, could, I could probably find some tapes, no doubt, that <laughs> might help you out, being someone of that nature who collects tapes or have kept tapes from many years of, of Wickham games and stuff, then we might, might be able to help you out. Oh, excellent. Well, there is a growing community of people who are doing this. Yeah, I have to say, it still amazes me when I think about it, that you can do that, get teletext from VHS tapes. Yeah, I think where you can find a story that's not anywhere else, you know, if it's just data of football scores and things like that it's nice to see it from a nostalgia point of view but if certainly if I was talking earlier maybe there's an interview with a with a footballer or, or you know I'll you know, say there's a lot of music stuff on teletext as well there might be interviews with bands because there was um, sort of indie indie music teletext pages you know possibly the only copy of that that exists is is sitting on a tape somewhere which is most likely just get thrown away because it's only you know, someone recorded some afternoon TV program to watch later and stuck it in a cupboard somewhere, ready to be thrown in a skip. Yeah. Well, save those tapes. They are little teletext time machines. Blimey. So, Paul Lewis, thank you very much for being a guest on this episode of the Teletext Star podcast. No worries. It's been, it's been great talking, reliving those memories. And good luck with this search for the archives. And hopefully one day that s and o story will turn up and we can uh, put it on the internet where it belongs we're in its rightful place we can finally put it on the official website yes hey maybe we could send it to them are you yeah. still in contact with the official website do you still yeah. do stuff with them um not no i'm in contact with them we we, we all get along we're all a happy family you know it's a relatively small club knowing that the official site now is very much official the official line on everything but there's always room for an independent website who can just take a slightly different angle on things and and although my own site now is more of a more of an historical reference and 
in trying to remain up to date with match reports. So I, I've I've gone down the Twitter route to post stuff on a on a daily basis, be it looking back on games in the past or just posting up match um, news on the day and just a few you know random thoughts as you do on Twitter. You can get that via the website. The link it's chairboys.co.uk is the website. And there's a link to Twitter on there. Fantastic. And I do recommend following Paul, especially if you're a fan of Wickham Wanderers. In fact, if you are, why aren't you following him already? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I've just got one more question, though. In the press box, did you actually get teletext? No, there was no, there was no screen. There was no TV screen in um, the area I was in. It's quite a small area. I believe there was one screen, TV screen, in the main announcers part of the press area where they could look at a uh, final score and possibly teletext, but there was no direct access. There's still no monitors as such at Wickham. Right. But that's something you only ever get at the perhaps newly built ground. I know Brentford's got that in their new ground. Certainly at the sort of championship second tier level you're looking at teams that are ex premier league uh, maybe it's a um a requirement of, of the premier league that you must have monitors built in but yeah no, no teletext oh not for me anyway so i have to wait till I, wait till i get home oh let's put an advert out and the, our press officer alan hutchison was in the room with myself and terry gibson and um, we said, well, get it on the internet, Hutch. Ask anybody if they think they're of this standard of football um, and they're not cup-tied. You know, this is, you've got to remember this is March time um, and they want to play in a quarter-final FA and they think they've got a chance, contact us. Yeah, the, the only other thing, the other, the other thing I'd say, Dan, is um, it, this is interesting that you talked about the way that the story has changed over time. I do I, I remember at the time where I can't remember the sort of the percentages involved, but sort of, let's say half and half. Some of the press went down the teletext route and some went down the internet route on how it was posted. Or well, they found the striker, basically, I suppose, to fit their own ag- agenda and headlines. And perhaps they didn't think it was even possible that someone had posted something on teletext. And surely it must have been on their website because that would have been the, the modern day way of doing things. So you saw a few headlines that were based around the player being signed on on the internet. The most fantastic headline that I saw, which was um, factually incorrect, was essendolastminute.com, <laughs> which was I thought was a great headline, but also wound me up at the same time. <laughs> yeah, um, the BBC article that they wrote at the time described Essendo as a cyberman. In time, history has seemed to warp that into the CFAX man. But... Maybe that's more because that's more factually correct. Oh, definitely, yeah. And for example, the FA did a feature, a video feature, which you can find on YouTube on Roy Sendo, the CFAX striker, where I stole that name from, basically. <laughs> In that, does he mention teletext? I think he says that it was on teletext and doesn't mention anything about the official website. So maybe the real story is coming out over time when they talk to Sanchez and when they talk to Essendo, the actual facts are shining through now, free of this idea of having to write a headline. Because I don't know, I think it's a more appealing headline in the year 2021 
to say that it was teletext rather than the internet, because teletext is now considered archaic and old, and there's that charm to it. What do you think? Yeah, like I think o- over over time, people like myself and uh, Laurie Sanchez have been interviewed, and the press officer Alan Hutchinson at the time has been interviewed, and gradually people have become aware. Look, it was teletext; it wasn't on the website. And so that's how it's become. It's taken 20 years to get there, but we've finally got there. The facts are there. But yeah, at the time, it was something that the press picked up on. They've got, you know, minutes to put headlines together for a printed publication to be printed on a Saturday evening. So they just went with something that looked good. Yeah. I mean, if it did eventually get posted on the message boards, I suppose it isn't entirely incorrect that it was on there as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's definitely, it was definitely reported on the internet, but it was reported that it had been on teletext. It's a, it's a fantastic story. The fact is he, he could have done nothing in that game. Someone else could have scored a winner. We could have got to the semi-final, and it would still have been a fantastic day. But the fact that Roy Essendo scored the goal just makes that whole story just something else. It takes it to a completely different level. You know, probably... Stuff films are made of. Did you ever yeah. speak to Rory Sendo? Well, no, no, I didn't. It's funny again after the Leicester game, he he was so difficult to get hold of because his agent literally just pulled him away and wanted all the press coverage to be sort of controlled, if you like, for him to try and get a, a better contract somewhere, you know, for either for Wickham or another club. Essendo did go on to play for lots and lots and lots of clubs after that, maybe 20 more clubs. Oh, right. Blimey. A true journeyman of the modern age. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he came to, he came to um, Wickham having been in Finland, but he had been in England since uh, for a few months playing at other clubs. I think he played briefly at Luton Town and he played at Rushton and Diamonds briefly as well on trial for them in perhaps uh, reserve games or lower level competition before he had a go at Wickham. He did well, you know, he, you know, he scored a goal in the FA Cup and got a contract at the end of the season. I didn't really follow his career that much afterwards, but most of the times I saw him afterwards was when Wickham were in the FA Cup again and they got him back in the studio as a, as a pundit, if you like. You know, here's Roy Essendo, he scored the goal that took Wickham to the semi-final of the FA Cup. Look at that, he's living off that. Mm. Basically living off that moment. Well, I'm looking at his career. He went on to play for Barnet, Cambridge, Bishop Stortford, which he stayed at for the longest, over 150 games for them. Then Billericay Town, Bishop Stortford again, Kettering, back to Bishop Stortford, where he stayed for a long time. And then he moved to Northern Ireland, a couple of teams in Northern Ireland, Glenavon, St. Neats Town. Yeah. Then back to England. So, yeah, his agent must have done a great job in toting him up to all these different teams. He must have said, this is the guy that was on Teletext. Do you remember that? <laughs> when he scored against Leicester in the FA Cup quarterfinal. This is the guy you want to bring in for three games. Right. So thank you very much for your contributions today, Paul. No problem. 
but there's only one more thing to say on this episode of the Teletag Star podcast, and that's keep it blocky. So that's our catchphrase, you see, that we always say. Wickham uh, looking for a winning goal here at Filbert Street. Royce knocks it down and away from the point of immediate danger. Remember?